Happy New Year. This is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I'd like to thank PMI once again for being a sponsor of this podcast. And I would like to welcome Jesse Fuel. Jesse, thank you for being here. It is super awesome to be with you again, Dave. And we haven't talked in a while, but for those of you who don't know, all the stuff, well, I don't know if we can take total credit for it, but a lot of the stuff that happened with PMI and Agile started with stuff that Jesse and I were doing way back in 2008 and 2009, when we started trying to create programming around Agile for the people in PMI. So it's been kind of a long time and things have changed yeah. a bit. Yeah, you know, um, it's it uh, it's it's been ten years, um, and if you stop and think about it, um, it it it, uh, it took a full decade for things to come full circle to where this past year, um, the latest uh, edition of the Project Management Body of Knowledge has formal Agile content for the first time ever. So, um, it's been um, actually that rolled out in uh, twenty. 17, I believe. So it took took a full decade for that to materialize. Mike Griffiths and I, um, who you, uh, who you know, well, were uh, reflecting on all of that. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been a long journey. And it's uh, rewarding to me to see project managers across the world evolving, pivoting, and growing beyond um, one way to do things. Yeah, it's nice. And there's less resistance. I still get a lot of people in class that are very resistant, but it's less than it used to be, which I think is a very positive change. And I know that PMI is still working on finding ways to make that more normalized within the community and the practice. Um, Yep. But it's a new year. So what we're going to talk about is stuff that we're both focused on for this year. Um, and so if, if you're listening, if you come from the traditional side of the house and you're kind of making your way into Agile, we're going to talk about the things that we're focusing on, the things that we're paying the most attention to. So I know you have kind of a very specific target that you're after, a couple of things that you're pursuing. Do you want to talk about what some of those are? Yeah. So um, let's talk about the project management world and the PMs that are in it. For um, I, um, You actually introduced me to uh, a couple of um, PMO thought leaders, Mark Price Perry and Andy Jordan, and the three of us. Or as I like to call them, Mark Price Perry and Andy Fancy Shoes. <laughs> uh, Andy is one of the best dressed uh, professional stars slash project managers. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and, and he uh, also enjoys making fun of uh, everyone else as well. So it's, it's, all, <laughs> it's all the positive love through humor kind of thing. Um, and, and what all of us, you, me, and those, uh, Mark and Andy, have been involved in is, is trying to craft the modern conversation for the modern PMO. Where's the PMO going? Is it, does it still have a role in today's world of self-organizing teams um, that, uh, that are empowered to, to innovate on the ground? Or is, there, is, is, is it gone the way that the, the dinosaur? And the answer is... Um, the answer is is not that it's it's gone or that it's obsolete, but rather that it's evolving and that there's still a lot of value that a strategically placed organization can offer, particularly when it's um, chartered to execute on corporate strategy. If you think about it, that's that's kind of what projects are. You're executing corporate strategy, and so um, I'm uh, working with those guys to put together a tour. We're going on tour. We're taking the show on the road. <laughs> and, um, and so there's uh, Project Con, which is going to be in May in Indianapolis. 
where we're going to have a workshop on the Agile PMO and what that means, along with an entire track on the modern PMO and what it, what it is and what it looks like. And then I'm uh, pleased to announce here for the first time on the Project Management Podcast um, that we are hosting kind of a preview event um, in Pittsburgh on February 8th. Yen's are going down to Berg. That's right. That's right. Uh, down by the three rivers. And, um, and what we're doing is we're just uh, any project manager or project uh, PMO manager that is interested in finding a way to shift the narrative about what they are, who they are, what they do, and how they add value to the organization, especially in an agile context. Um, we're, we're going on the road. We're going on tour in order to kind of foster that conversation. So let's, I want to dig into this a little bit. So um, for a while to me, it seemed like we had coaches with the teams. We had finally had coaches with leadership and the poor PMO and all the middle managers were just like squeezed into this thing and they became like an uncomfortable shock absorber thinking that they were supposed to either tell the agile teams how to do their job so that they could report up in waterfall or they didn't know what to do at all. And they were like a dead man walking. And there needs to be a reason to have a PMO. And a lot of Agile people would say, well, why do you need one? I think that they can add a lot of value. I think that you do too. But you just talked about them executing on corporate strategy. So how does that fit in with the idea of Agile and the role that a PMO can play? Well, um, uh, that was like four questions at once. So Yeah. So the first thing (laughs) I I would want to kind of go back and and reemphasize is I didn't say the PMOs execute corporate strategies. Ah, okay. Projects. Projects. And corrected. All right. Sorry. Projects execute um, uh, corporate strategy and PMOs are a a support function, just like coaches. Okay. Just like scrum masters, you are a support function in order to help people that, uh, first of all, ask for it. This is guidance that came in the Agile Practice Guide, which was released in conjunction with the uh, sixth edition of the PMBOK Guide, um, where there's a whole chapter on what an Agile PMO is that um, was co-authored by the Agile Alliance and PMI volunteers. And one of the key things there is that um, the the Agile PMO is invitation-oriented. Um, You don't mandate stuff top down. You offer services that are pulled. Uh, And so one question is, hey, I don't know what Agile is. Where can I go to get some Agile training and uh, or some Agile resources? Well, it sounds like a really good thing for a centrally located um, staff with talent kind of project support office might be able to offer. There's some resources on WTF Agile. And so, so most of the people that I talk to from PMOs, at least the ones that come into classes, they want to know how to get everybody in the organization to do Agile the same way. Ah, uh, yes. We need consistency. Right. Need because everyone they want that to drive, to drive the idea of accountability, which doesn't really seem to me to sync up with the idea of accountability, but that's what they want it for. Yeah. Um, I, consistency is, um, is the junk food of management. Ooh, yeah, nice. It is, um, it, is a, it, is, it is not an organizational outcome. We're not, okay. look, uh, ask any CEO, hey, CEO, what, what, what's your, what do you want your legacy to be? Or, or CIO or, or senior managing director. None of them are going to say, when I leave, I want to know that I was able to make everyone look the same. That, that's not at all what they're, they, they want to make a ding in the universe. They want to drive outcomes. 
and but, but their their desire for everything to be the same there's a re they think that if they get that if they have everybody doing things the same way then it kind of goes back to this frederick taylor mindset of working that's right turn the wrench that's right and and i know a lot of agilists who fall victim to this too which is um we're gonna we're all gonna use scrum and we're all gonna be on a two-week cadence yeah. And we're all going to um, we're all going to use um, uh, the uh, BDD Gherkin style user story template, and we're all gonna and we're all gonna and we're all gonna be exactly the same, and we're gonna regress to the mean. And and so consistency is the opposite of um, of the variety that you need in high performing organizations. High performing organizations do not have robots in them. Um, and so th that's, that's part of the conversation that we have uh, in, in with a lot of, of the old style uh, managers is that um, we're trying to find the bright spots and emphasize the bright spots rather than discouraging variation, exploration, innovation, because that's, okay. that's really what innovation is. It's about coloring outside the lines. What a lot of, uh, I think what you're, what, what, if we dig deeper into why we want consistency, we're trying to prevent failure. We're trying to prevent um, disasters. We're trying to. It's a risk reduction. It's risk reduction and, and positive risk um, uh, recognition where like if there's some missed opportunities, we don't want to miss as many opportunities by saying that um, you were permitted not to use um, test-driven development, or you're permitted not to do a best practice. So there's, it's a deeper conversation than just saying we need everyone to be the same. Um, here's one. We need everyone, we need more consistency so that we can move people around. Um, people are smart. We can move them if we need to. We can ask them if they want to change their jobs uh, to be more interesting and a little bit different. Um, I've got a, a big name.com that I'm working with right now where um, they just had a, a conversation with their teams. Hey, we're about to uh, take a look at our 2019 goals. Anybody want to put in for a, sh a change in assignment? And most of them are like, no, I'm getting into my pod. I'm getting into my team. I'm, I want to keep going. One or two people said, yeah, I'd like a shift. And, and guess what? They figured out how to learn stuff. So, um, the, the, it's a deeper question. When people ask for consistency, I tend to respond with why. And, and then, then the conversation gets to be a little bit rich. And well, there's also in what you just described, there's the whole thing of trust and utilization. I mean, when people want this, the ability, they want the ability to swap people in and out. It's because management thinks they need to optimize the use of resources as if they were pieces in a machine. Yeah, and trust them to stay together. That's that's a big leap as well, right? Yeah, and that that that's part of the evolution of the role of manager in today's world. Uh, in today's world, your job um, efficient uh, or what? Uh, what's the? Here's the buzz phrase: delivery trumps efficiency. Okay. Delivery trumps efficiency. Um, we have too many managers who've been told that your job is to be cost effective before you are business effective. And, and so there's a lot of premature optimization going on in the world of business where we're trying to be, uh, we're trying to cut costs before we find anything worth cutting, um, before we have anything worth doing. Um, so delivery, getting something out the door first is the new order of business because we're in the world of innovation, exploration, and new and different things. We don't even know what's going to, 
So the, stick it, to the wall. Right. Just ask Netflix and their failed attempt to spin off their DVD business. Um, um, like, oh, okay, that was a bad idea. Um, hmm. Maybe we don't need to worry about being cost effective with the wrong business. So I want to go into the leadership thing in a minute, but first, so how does the PMO figure out what kind of, like, let's say that I work at a traditional company and, and we're going to try to do agile in some respect or adopt some parts of agile in 2019, but we're a traditional PMO. Like where do we begin not acting like Frederick Taylor? Well, so the first thing is what is the problem you are trying to solve? Uh, Mark Price Perry has hammered this home to me. I'm sure you got some of the good. He's had a huge impact on me as well. Oh my gosh. So Mark's whole thesis that I believe um, is, is, is part and parcel to the agile conversation is that a PMO should be driven by business outcomes, not by your management strategies. So too many, too many PMO managers um, have a hammer in search of a nail. They have a solution in search of a problem when you really should be asking, hey, chief executive, um, what project-related problems do you want our help solving? And then and, and you think you know the answer around efficiency and effective use of resources and consistent, and that's not going to be the answer you're going to get. You're going to get an answer like, um, we need more agility in this organization, PMO. Um, how about you go do that? And I've got a couple of PMO managers I'm working with right now, one at a federal nuclear agency um, where she created her job as a PMO manager by, with that conversation. And now she's wow. driving the agile transformation from the PMO. Um, and, uh, and then I know another um, PMO at a, um, uh, at a financial organization where they're at war with the agile um, leaders because they're all fighting over who's going to own the agile transformation rather than, um, and, and it kind of mirrors a senior level power grab at the top rather than the business driven agenda that they're trying to implement. So it's less about what you do and it's more about why you're doing what you do. Yeah. And that's, that's almost, I mean, that second example you just gave, I, I see that a lot too. And it's almost like a religious war. Like the agile people think they should own agile transformation because they're agile and the PMO's not. And the PMO's like, well, we know the organization better. We should do it. And really what they should do is just figure out how to work together. Yeah. And many times it's a branding issue. Like you're the PMO, so you couldn't possibly know agile. Oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, let me just rebrand our, our group as the lean agile center of excellence. And now suddenly we're invited <laughs> to the conversation. Uh, because that's that's what a lean that's what uh, a lean agile center of excellence is. It's it's a PMO, and yeah. and and hopefully it's a PMO that's driven by outcomes and not by outputs. Hopefully it's driven by the top level um, goals and results that we're trying to achieve, and not by our favorite agile method that we're going to roll out across the board. Well, I think it's really important to remember what you just said about, you know, what, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Like, why does, why does the PMO that you have, if you work in one, even exist? Because a lot of them have been there so long, people don't know why. And if the, in, if the purpose of the PMO is to support adoption of Agile, then I would say it's probably more about making that change easier for the organization to stomach or to cope with than it is telling people how to do stuff. Absolutely. I think that 
PMOs and the project managers that have spent an entire career in the business of change um, have the tools at their disposal that, that can help an agile journey be less painful. And, um, but even there, even there, I would stop and ask, why are we going agile? What, what, what do you want to achieve? And, you know, depending on which senior leader you talk to, agile means something different. Yeah. So, um, is it about um, employee engagement, retention, and morale? Is it about speed to market? Or is it about um, customer loyalty? What is it about that we're, that we're wanting this agile journey to help with? And even then, it's, it's the same question because a lot of agile coaches come in with their pet method in search of a problem. And because they went to or a their box of Jira or, or their, or their favorite tool du jour. Yeah. yeah. So it, it just, it's been fascinating to me in this conversation going across the world with this workshop at just how many sins project managers and agile coaches commit the same. I think it's really, what's, what's interesting to me is I think it's an important set of questions to ask. Like it's a great five why kind of a thing, because even if, they're saying, well, we want to be agile because we'll be agile, or we want to be agile because we're going to do twice the work in half the time, or they don't really have uh, an answer that's a, about business outcomes. Even starting to ask those questions creates a smarter organization. And I think if the whole idea of this way of working is to evolve our understanding of what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, even a failed attempt at this is, is better than, not, than nothing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, because, um, because you're, you're creating focus. Yeah. You're going to start sifting out some of the agile techniques and templates and methods and tools that aren't going to help you get to employee engagement. If that's yeah. really where you're trying to go for and attracting talent, if that's what you're trying to go for. So what about the leadership thing? I know you do a lot of work there and this is going to be hard. This kind of change is going to be hard for people, you know, within the PMO as well as, what you could be a middle manager or a senior manager, like this switch is not just about the organizational change, but it's about the personal internal value system shift and everything else. Um, what, what do you see going on there in terms of how that understanding of that problem is evolving or that challenge? This agile leadership conversation has been something that uh, I was, I was recruited into, so there's a colleague of mine, Pete Behrens, who helped craft the Certified Agile Leadership Program over at the Scrum Alliance, and, 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 and he, he said something um, that was very powerful to me. He said, uh, this is the whole point. The whole point is changing uh, the way leaders approach their job and therefore changing the entire world of work. And, and, and so, uh, that that resonated with me deeply, and I've I've uh, I've signed on to being a, a trainer and a coach for the Agile Leadership Program, but also uh, to um, to share some of these thoughts. Here's the key thought: um, Agile is not something you um, that everybody else needs to do. Uh, it's something you need to do as a senior leader, or even as an Agile change agent. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, ooh, ooh, I, I get it. I'm the Agile champion, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the Agile mandate, and then you forget to look in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really some of the most important work that every, any leader needs to do is look in the mirror first, um, do a little bit of self-leadership before you start um, kind of pu pushing people in a direction they're uncomfortable with. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that I picked up from Christopher Avery is the whole idea of leading yourself first. I think that if you want to transition your company, start transitioning yourself. I think that's the biggest part of it. Yeah, here's one. Um, Hey, leader, when was the last time you had a 360 um, assessment? Um, What are your hidden strengths that you don't know that you have that your peers believe you do have that you're not utilizing? And what are your blind spots? Yeah, what are your hidden weaknesses? Yeah, your blind spots where you need a voice of accountability calling you out and saying, hey, you know that thing um, where we're talking about encouraging more mistakes and experimentation? Yeah, you're, um, you're actually not walking the talk there. Yeah. Um, and, and I went through the Leadership Circle program last year, and it, uh, it was a gut punch. Can you explain what that is? Leadership Circle, yeah, the Leadership Circle is... Um, one of the more popular leadership development frameworks in the industry right now. Um, and and it's, um, it's introduced through a book called Mastering Leadership and now Scaling Leadership, which is coming out in January. And, and also through a, a series of workshops where you can take the 360 assessment and then get together with a cohort and walk through what does it mean to you and how can you help other leaders go through this journey of self-reflection and leadership growth? Um, and the fundamental premise is this, that um, the challenges we face today are more significant than the leadership we have in place to address them. And if you just pause on that for a moment, that's a, that's a real problem, that the challenges we face today with volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, the VUCA stuff, um, is, is hard enough um, on its own, but add to the fact that a lot of leaders just aren't ready to cope with all of that. And that's why it's, that's why it's a mission-critical endeavor to help people, leaders in p- positions of influence, to force themselves to grow to handle all of these new modern-day challenges. Okay. So, so you participated in this program. If somebody's just working in a PMO or working in a company, um, do, are you recommending that they just pick up one of these books? Like what, what is the best place to get start leading yourself into an agile change? I, I would, I would encourage you to check out the book scaling leadership, which comes, uh, which is going to be launched in January. And I'll include a link to it in the show notes. And, um, this is, this is not a book that I wrote. Um, it's a book written by, by Robert Anderson and William mm-hmm. Adams. That's right. And, and in, in, in the book, um, it introduces you to the uh, leadership circle framework, which um, lists out uh, two dozen different competencies and tendencies that we as leaders are expected and tend to bring. And, and, and then it'll give you a, a set of linguistic tools and terminology to help you address what the topic of leadership is about. So for example, um, who would you rather work for, Tony Shea or uh, at Zappos, or would you rather work uh, for Steve Jobs at Apple? Well, Steve Jobs is very much task-oriented, and Elon Musk is very task-oriented. They're very great innovators, but um, if you work for them, you will lose your hair. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, Tony Shea... a nasty eye twitch, yeah. Yeah, Tony Shea is is known for um, for introducing holacracy. It's this the group kumbaya. Everyone loves each other. Um, it's very strong on the relationship side of leadership, but um, are you really going to get ahead 
as a leader implementing projects that you want to implement when you're in the land of everybody gets along and not has any difficult conversations. So the, the best leaders bring both sides to the table. And that's, that's a really good point that the book begins to make. And then it starts exploring how do we scale this out, this kind of double-sided um, ambidextrous leadership where you can be relationship skilled and task skilled. So when you say scale it out, you don't mean, or I'm assuming that you don't mean how do we get every leader in our company to be this way, but how do I develop a, an ability to scale my own leadership? Both. Okay. Both. Yes. Okay. It is about how can I, um, how can I uh, improve the amount of leverage, increase the amount of leverage that I bring to bear in the organization through my own skill set? And then how can I encourage my peers, my superiors, and my subordinates to take the same journey and grow in their leverage skills as well? Um, okay. So it's, it's been a powerful experience for me to, to, uh, to talk about because it, 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 challenge you to, it challenges leaders to embrace the growth mindset um, and Pete Barron's introduced me recently to uh, another framework that's been really interesting. And I plan to kind of dig more into this coming year. And that's the, com um, the competing values framework. Okay. And in the competing values framework, um, you know, a lot of people have different culture models that they use. Like, oh, you have a toxic culture. You have a collaborative culture. And you're a coll collaborating culture. And, um, but in this, in this framework, it says, you know, sometimes your culture is what it is. And you're going to have to, if you want to introduce agility into your culture, introduce the kind of agility that fits. And that's a growth mindset. A growth mindset is giving people what they can, what they can use rather than being frustrated that they can't be who you want them to be. Or they're not doing it right. They're not doing it right. They don't get it. That's one of my, oh, that's one of my pet peeves. You know, they just don't get it. Well, whose fault is that? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, maybe, maybe it's time for you leader to pivot your pitch, um, so that people don't get it, get what they can get out of it. So one of the things I think about this, that I think is so cool about this stuff is, um, like when I teach the scrum classes, I'm always talking about the fact that that, that way of working demands a different level of engagement, that everybody on the team comes with the idea of. I'm going to help the team today. What can I do to help the team today? And thereby help the company. It's, this is demanding the same kind of heightened level of engagement at the, from a leadership point of view, right? How can I become better at my job, take care of myself so I can take care of other people better? Absolutely. It's so true. I, um, I worked with a consulting uh, firm um, this past year where the deputy CIO wanted to go on an agile journey, wanted to make it happen. And she had her own leadership team around her and, and, she's, and she started asking them, how can we emulate the kind of changes we want our, our department of, I think it was 400 people um, to, start, to start using and behaving and exhibiting. And, and so they put together their own organizational backlog, their own monthly scrum cadence and I came in and I, uh, once a month and I helped them work through some of the things that they had to work through, like what are our new roles and responsibilities and, um, and um, what are some of the new, um, what are some of the new kind of aspirations that we want people to go for? And, and it was just some of the most rewarding and powerful work where a group of leaders got together and started asking the question, how can we start emulating the behaviors 
that we're expecting of others. And it, and it, had, it had powerful results. Um, and this is another place where a PMO could be super valuable to an organization in helping develop that backlog and helping leadership to kind of refine what's in that backlog and find new opportunities to get better at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, because as a, as a PMO, you might not be the one to implement the change. You might merely be the one to facilitate the leaders having the dialogue about the changes they need to implement. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool, Dave, the way you kind of brought that all back. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> well, all right, so I know you've got to go in a couple minutes, but I want to, before we talk about your upcoming events, um, I have one sort of surprise question for you. Okay. Uh, what, so we, we both come from a very traditional background and we've, you know, made our way and we've been fairly, we've been involved with the Agile stuff for a long time. I'm curious about 10 years in or more, what are you still struggling with that is kind of a hangover from the waterfall way of working? Like, I mean, you're somebody who's had a lot of success with this. You're somebody who, like, if I was a traditional PMP looking at Agile, I'd be like, damn, Jesse got all that way down the road. Like, how can I do that? You're all the way down the road, but I'm sure that there's still things that you're working on. So, like, what is one thing that's a leftover bit that you still find yourself coming back to going, yeah, that's one that I haven't kind of unraveled yet. Um, so this is, this is me and everybody else in the world. And, <laughs> and, and the way I summarize it is this, that the greatest challenge of leadership in the natural context is to be impatient with the status quo, but patient with the people in it. Okay. And for me, um, I get frustrated when I see people um, uh, who are just struggling with not willing to change because they fear if they, if they share information with their teammates, their job security is at risk or not willing to change because if they delegate They're scared. Yeah. If they delegate work to people, more, more uh, self-directive work to people, uh, to the teams, then they're going to make mistakes and that's going to look bad on them as leaders. Yeah. And, and I get so frustrated with people that, um, are clinging to their their old ways of doing things because change is intimidating, change is scary, and and I have to just breathe and oh, you know, like <laughs> go into my 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 Zen mode and 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 say, okay, but they're at their journey too, and um, I can't be. It, it's easy for me to commit the same sins that I judge other people committing, and yeah. that's, that's pretty much the recurring pattern. So. And, and I find that project managers. I think, wait, that's a really, what you just said is really important because it's really easy for all of us to see the faults in other people and then give ourselves a pass because <laughs> we're so busy being like, well, they suck more. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there's, uh, so um, I'm going to go to my pop culture reference. Uh, Mike Moore from Suicidal Tendencies has the great line. <clears throat> um, wow. Nobody's ever quoted suicidal tendencies on a podcast before. I just want a uh, Pepsi. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, if you say your life sucks, 99% of life is what you make of it. So if your life sucks, you suck. Yeah, that's That was true. the quote from the song. Um, same song, by the way. And, uh, and, and that's, that's really about the growth mindset, right? Like, uh, I, I get a lot of people coming at me, Jesse, you don't understand. Complain, complain. You don't get it. Complain, complain. I'm like, dude, I've been there. I'm still in it because now you're the pain in my neck. Yeah. 
All right. So, well, now I got one more since you brought up suicidal tendencies. One more, one more question before we do the promo stuff. Um, <laughs> what outside of work and agile is the thing that you find most inspiring right now? That feeds that feeds your creativity and feeds your ability to come back to this stuff with like a fresh eye. Well, um, so my uh, one of my New Year's resolutions in 2018 was to complete the Bible in a year. Wow. And there's an app for that. The Catholic Church can't even do that. <laughs> um, there's an app for that. And, and I did it. And, and as everyone is probably aware. The you Bible, got through all the begats and everything? Uh, well, yeah. There, there are parts that you just skim. You did old and new, the whole thing. Scroll, scroll. Yeah, cover to cover, man. Wow. Um, and it's, uh, the app is called Bible in a Year. It's put out by the, uh, the Alpha Course people over at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, the global movement that's uh, behind the, the Alpha Course. Anyway, so as anybody who's been exposed to religion um, has probably heard, there are a lot of contradictions. Yeah. And there's a change management guru um, named uh, Bob Keegan who has a, a kind of an enlightenment model or a growth model where one of the um, self-authoring mind levels, like, so you get to a certain level of maturity where you hold the contradictions. You just embrace the contradictions where you can say, um, okay, so one in one verse, they said this, and another verse said the exact opposite. You know what? Um, there's truth in both sides, and I'm just going to hold that. So um, there's truth that um, teams um, are more engaged when they have more autonomy. And there's also truth that when teams have more autonomy, they make more mistakes and they tend to become prima donnas who are self-righteous. So both can be true. And I find it comforting, inspiring that that's part of the journey is the contradictions are not things to walk away from, but to lean into. Okay. That's actually really great. And I think not only did you bring up suicidal tendencies, but you talked about suicidal tendencies and the Bible within three minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a good start to the year for the podcast. All right. Great. So if people want to find out more about you, they can go to your website, jessefuel.com. Yes. And I'm looking forward to meeting everybody on tour this year. I'm going to be um, reprising my talk Agile-ish the five mistakes diluting your agile transformation at the scrum gathering in Austin this coming May. And I'm also going to be um, hosting agile leadership workshops um, across the country. And then on the PMO side, we've got I mentioned the project con in Indianapolis in May. Um, and then also in Pittsburgh in February, we're going to be doing the same agile PMO workshop um, in February as well. So go to the website where you can get um, the specific dates and rates and all well, that. Yeah, stuff. I'll include links to all this stuff in the podcast yeah. show notes so people can find it here. You've got your YouTube channel. Yes, uh, that uh, the morning fuel segments continue um, to, to roll. We're going we're gonna to shake things up a little bit this year. So we're looking forward to some good stuff there. Cool. All right, dude, thank you very much for doing this. It was great catching up, but I can't wait to see you in, in, at the Scrum Gathering. That'll be fun. Yeah, we're going to watch the bats together. <laughs> yeah, we're, lot, uh, always, always good to um, have a couple project managers at an Agile conference. <laughs> yes, cool. All right, dude, thanks a lot. All right, talk to you later. <laughs>